You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. Exodus 28. Have Aaron, your brother, brought to you from among the Israelites, along with his sons, Nadab and Ehu, Eliza and Ithma, so that they may serve me as priests. Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honour. Tell all the skilled workers to whom I have given wisdom in such matters that they are to make garments for Aaron for his consecration so that they may serve me as priest. These are the garments they are to make. A breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a woven tunic, a turban and a sash. They are to make me these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons so that they may serve me as priests. Have them use gold and blue, purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen. Make the ephod of gold and blue, purple and scarlet yarn, and a finely twisted linen, the work of skilled hands. It is to have two shoulder pieces attached to two of its corners so it can be fastened. Its skillfully woven waistband is to be like it, of one piece with the ephod made of gold and with blue, purple and scarlet yarn with finely twisted linen. Take two onk stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel in the order of their birth, six names on one stone and the remaining six on the other. Engrave the names of the sons of Israel on the two stones the way a gem cutter engraves a seal. Then mount the stones in gold filigree settings and fasten them on the shoulder pieces of the esphod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. Aaron is to bear the names on his shoulders as a memorial before the Lord. Make gold filigree settings and two braided chains of pure gold, like a rope, and attach the chains to the settings. Fashion a breastpiece for making decisions, the work of skilled hands. Make it like the ephod, of gold and of blue, purple and scarlet yarn, and of finely twisted linen. It is to be square, a span long and a span wide, and folded double. Then mount four rows of precious stones on it. The first row shall be carnelian, chrysolite, and beryl. The second row shall be torquise, lapis luzia, and emerald. The third row shall be jacinth, agate, and amethyst. The fourth row shall be topaz, oinks, and jasper. Mount them in gold filigree settings. There are to be twelve stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel each engraved like a seal with the name of one of the twelve tribes. For the breastpiece, make braided chains of pure gold, like a rope. Make two gold rings for it and fasten them to the corners of the breastpiece. Fasten the two gold chains to the rings at the corner of the breastpiece and the other ends to the chains of the two settings, attaching them to the shoulder pieces of the ephod at the front. Make two gold rings and attach them to the other two corners of the breastpiece and on the inside edge next to the ephod. Make two more gold rings and attach them to the bottom of the shoulder pieces on the front of the ephod, close to the seam just above the waistband. The rings of the breastpiece are to be tied to the rings of the ephod with blue cord, connecting it to the waistband so that the breastpiece will not swing out from the ephod. Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision as a continuing memorial before the Lord. Also put the Urim and the Thurim in the breastpiece 
so that it may be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Thus, Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. Make the robe of the ephod entirely of blue cloth with an opening for the head in its centre. There shall be a woven edge like a collar around the opening so that it will not tear. Make pomegranates of blue, purple and scarlet yarn around the hems of the robe with gold bells between them. The gold bells of the pomegranate are to alternate around the hem of the robe. Aaron must wear it when he ministers. The sound of the bells will be heard when he enters the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he will not die. Make a plate of pure gold and engrave in it on it as a seal, holy to the Lord. Fasten a blue cord to it, attach it to the turban. It is to be on the front of the turban. It will be on Aaron's forehead, and he will bear guilt involved in the sacred, sacred gifts that the Israelites consecrate, whatever their gifts may be. It will be on Aaron's forehead continually, so that they will be acceptable to the Lord. Weave the tunic of fine linen, and make the turban of fine linen. The sash is to be the work of an embroiderer. Make tunics, sashes, and caps for Aaron's sons to give them dignity and honour. After you put these clothes on your brother Aaron and his son, anoint and adorn them. Consecrate them so that they may serve me as priests. Make linen armed garments as a covering for the body, reaching from the waist to the thigh. Aaron and his sons must wear them whenever they enter the tent of meeting or approach the altar to minister in the holy place so that they will not incur guilt and die. This is to be a lasting ordinance for Aaron and his descendants. Uh, I wanted Rob to read that whole section uh, just in case uh, we go into lockdown later this year and you want to take the time to build a high priest outfit. I wanted you to be fully in the loop uh, of all the materials you need in advance. Uh, so there you have it. Uh, uh, another thing I, I forgot to mention before, just in case you were kind of listening really intently to my little update on the finances, uh, for those listening to the sermon on the podcast, I gave an update on the finances. I mentioned that we're $13,500 in deficit. What I failed to mention was that expenses have also been down. So good news, we're actually uh, $5,000 in surplus on the year. So don't, you know, don't panic. Uh, anyway, uh, that's important information I forgot to mention. Please have your Bibles open. I'm going to pray, and then we'll look at this passage. Uh, gracious Father, we thank you for your word, and we particularly pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would open our eyes, our hearts, our minds uh, to uh, see and understand and, and grasp uh, our Lord Jesus, our great High Priest, uh, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, there have been a couple of times throughout the course of my ministry where uh, someone has contacted me because their share house situation has gone horribly wrong. Uh, maybe you've been there before. Uh, the relationships in the house either already have exploded or, or it's kind of a ticking time bomb uh, and it just seems that relationships are going to explode at any moment. And so essentially they've called me, and they haven't said these words exactly, but they've basically said, if we don't have a mediator step in, we're just not going to be able to live together anymore. And it's a little bit like that for God and His people, the Israelites. If God's going to be able to keep living with His people, they are going to need a mediator. In fact, they need a whole group of mediators, also known as priests. 
right? Aaron, the high priest, we've just heard a lot about, uh, and his sons are all the other priests. These are the ones who are going to step in and sort out all the mess of Israel's sin so that the glorious and holy God can keep living uh, with His people. Uh, so today, I want to look at this large section of Exodus, uh, all about the priesthood under the banner of five C's, right? the clothing we just heard about. In subsequent sections, we're going to look at the consecration, the commitments, uh, the customs, and the construction, five C's. Right? Stay tuned for them on the way through. So first, uh, let's look at Exodus chapter 28, the clothing of priests, uh, which really reveals our true and ideal high priest. So it'd be great if you could have Exodus 28 in front of you. Uh, you'll see in verse 1 there uh, that the priests of Israel are to be Aaron, right, Moses' brother, and his sons, his four sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Right, so if you're pregnant or expecting a child, there's some names for you to go with. Personally, Ithamar is right up there. Apologies if there's an Ithamar that's uh, listening. Anyway, uh, verses 2 and 3, uh, you'll see that before these priests can serve the God, uh, they have to be clothed in sacred garments, right? Holy garments, right? Because if they're going to be doing ministry in the presence of the God who is majestic in holiness, we heard about that last week, then they've got to be wearing holy clothes. In verse 4, where we see uh, that there are to be six main garments that Aaron the high priest is going to wear. We just heard Rob read about them. The ephod, the breastpiece, uh, the tunic, the turban, the sash, uh, and the robe. Right? So together, this outfit uh, is supposed to reveal to us not what Aaron's actual character is like, uh, but what the true and ideal high priest should be like. Right? That the kind of character that Aaron is seeking to embody. So, I want to show you five different aspects of the high priest's clothing, where you'll be pleased to know we're not going to kind of deal with every verse in this chapter, uh, but five aspects of Aaron's clothing that reveal our true and ideal high priest. Uh, the first aspect uh, is that the high priest here is the one who's been made fit to enter God's dwelling place. Uh, we all kind of understand that certain clothings are fit for certain contexts. I'm, I'm sure we get that. Uh, so yeah, a suit and a tie are, are fit for a wedding. Uh, but runners and a singlet, not so much, right? Uh, depending on where the wedding is, I guess. Right? But, but if you're going for a workout at the gym, runners and a singlet fit that context. Uh, a suit and a tie, maybe not so much. On the treadmill, you know, it, it doesn't fit. Likewise... The clothes of Aaron the high priest and his sons must fit their context, the context of God's dwelling place. So, uh, we see that the materials used in Aaron's clothes, all that detail, is similar to the materials that we saw last week in the tabernacle. Just two main ways. First, you've got the colours of yarn that are in the fabrics. So if you take a look at verses 6 and 8 in the ephod, which seems to be some kind of vest that's hanging down from Aaron's shoulders, the ephod is made from similar coloured yarns as the tabernacle. Right? Gold, blue, purple and scarlet yarn. Uh, the same is with the breastpiece down in verse 15. Uh, you see it there. Uh, and with the robe in verse 33, which has beautiful pomegranates, it seems, uh, around the hem of the robe uh, in the same sort of colours. Right? The point is that the colours are fitting for the context. 
the high priest fits in God's dwelling place. And likewise, with all the gold in the clothing, you saw that gold all over the place, right, that there's, um, uh, excuse me, uh, in verse uh, uh, 11, the onyx stones on the ephod, they're mounted in the gold filigree, uh, and then uh, down, uh, excuse me, in verses 22 to 28, uh, you'll see that the breast piece is to have chains of pure gold on it, running through gold rings. In verses 33 and 34, there's gold bells around the hem of the high priest's robe. Uh, and then in, verses 30, in verse 36, there's a pure gold plate fastened to his turban. You remember last week where we heard lots of the items in the tabernacle are made of gold or pure gold. The Ark of the Covenant, the table, the lampstand, once again, the point is that this high priest's clothes are fitting for his context. And of course, all this stuff about a high priest that is fit to enter God's dwelling place, all of that points us to Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26, uh, we read that Jesus is a high priest uh, who, is, who truly meets our needs. Why? Well, because he is holy and blameless and pure. Why, Jesus isn't just clothed in holy garments. Jesus actually is holy and blameless and pure to his very core. So Jesus is fitting to enter God's holy dwelling place on our behalf forever. Secondly, we've got the high priest who brings wisdom from God. This is the second kind of aspect here. This is all about the breast piece. If you scan through verses 15 to 30, uh, you'll see that in verse 15, the breast piece is uh, for the purpose of making decisions. Uh, It's the same thing at the end of the section in verse 29. It's about making decisions. Uh, And that's reinforced in verse 30, where we've got that kind of strange uh, reference to an Urim and Thummim, which we don't really know what they're about, but they seem to be some sort of tools, maybe a little bit like casting lots, uh, that the high priest would have used uh, to make decisions in the presence of God. What's the idea here? The idea here is that the high priest would enter God's presence on behalf of God's people to seek wisdom from God and then bring that wisdom back to God's people to guide them in how they should live. The high priest brings wisdom from God. And once again, that points us to Jesus. You can write down 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 30, if you like, where Paul says uh, that Christ has become for us, those who've put our faith in Christ, He's become for us wisdom from God. Because the cross of Christ, which reveals God's wisdom, it seems like foolishness to those who don't believe, uh, but for us who do believe, uh, it reveals God's wise plan to forgive us and redeem us and make us right with Him through faith in Christ. Right, Christ is the high priest who brings wisdom from God. A third, this is the, the high priest who represents God's people in God's presence. That's what all those stones are about. Di did a great job of picking that up in the kids' talk. Verses 9 to 11, you've got the onyx stones on the shoulders of the ephod, engraved with the names, six on each, uh, of the sons of of Israel. Likewise, verses 16 to 21, the breast piece, which which kind of uh, attaches into the ephod, has 12 stones on it. 
each of them engraved with one of the tribes of Israel. Excuse me, just lost my place for a second. Now, why is this so important? Well, it's that verse that I drew attention to. Look down at, at verse 30. You'll see that when the high priest enters his presence, God wants him to have the names of the people of Israel over his heart. Why is that? Well, I think it's because of what Di said as well. I think it's also uh, that God wants the high priest to remember that when he enters his presence, he's doing it on behalf of the people. He's doing it to meet their needs, to carry their burdens, uh, to offer sacrifices that atone for their sins, uh, so that they can have continued relationship with God. Uh, Likewise, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24, we read about Christ. Christ uh, did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, uh, now uh, to appear for us in God's presence. Christ, our true and ideal high priest, entered into the heavenly throne room of God, His Father, and He did that for us the writer of Hebrews said. He did it with your name and my name engraved over his heart and with a commitment to to offer his blood to atone for our sins on the cross. Christ is the high priest who represents us in God's presence. Fourth, we've got the high priest who is holy enough to enter God's presence. This is about that pure gold plate that it's fastened to Aaron's turban. Uh, You'll see that it's inscribed with holy to the Lord, right through uh, being clothed in these sacred garments and being consecrated with the offerings we'll see in the next chapter. Uh, Aaron, the high priest, has been made holy enough to enter God's presence. He is holy to the Lord. Uh, But his holiness it's something that he's going to have to continually maintain, right? We see that in the next chapter. Uh, the high priests are going to have to offer sacrifices for their own sins over and over again. But not Christ, right? The true and ideal high priest, but because once again, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7, verses 27 and 28 points out that unlike Aaron and all the other high priests, Christ did not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all uh, when he offered himself. Uh, For the law uh, appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, like men like Aaron, Uh, But the oath, the covenant, which comes after the law, appoints the Son, or it appoints Christ, who has been made perfect forever. Christ is the uh, the high priest who's holy enough to enter God's presence on our behalf, not just for a moment in time, but forever. Aaron could enter the the God's presence, the Holy of Holies, once a year when he'd been fully cleansed on the Day of Atonement, but Christ can be there in God's uh, presence forever, all the time, on our behalf, because he, as the writer of the Hebrews says, has been made our perfect high priest forever. And so it follows that the high priest must be set apart from sinners, 
satisfied. This is the last aspect in verse 20, in chapter 28. Uh, and it's in verses 42 and 43. If you scan down there, uh, it's very important, if you are going to make a high priest outfit, uh, that you have some tight-fitting underpants. Right? So take note of the directions there in verses 42 and 43. What's this about? Well, maybe you can read back later on. You might remember that in Exodus chapter 20, verse 26, God said to his people, if you build an altar for worshipping me, make sure it doesn't have any steps. And the reason he gave for that was so that your private parts won't be exposed. Which seems a bit strange to us, but it's actually about preserving the purity of Israel's worship. In contrast to all the nations around them. The nations around them often had nakedness and various kinds of sex acts as a part of their worship. And the priests would be leading the way with that. Not Israel's priests. Israel's priests, priests are to be set apart from the sinful practices of the nations around them. But of course, on one level, even though Aaron and his sons have been set apart... Uh, the reality is they're just sinners like the rest of the Israelites. On one level, not that different. Uh, but in Hebrews 7 verse 26, we read that Christ, our true and ideal high priest, is truly set apart from sinners. Sin is not found in him at all. Either the clothing of this high priest reveals Christ our true and ideal high priest. So that's chapter 28. The clothing, in chapter 29, we come to the consecration of the priests, uh, which reveals how sinners like us can be sanctified to serve as priests. Uh, So make sure you've got chapter 29 open. hope you're still with me, verses 1 to 3. Uh, We see that the purpose of this whole chapter uh, is that the priests of Israel might be consecrated to serve as priests. And in verse 4... Uh, we see that the first step to being consecrated is being washed with water. Either they must be purified, uh, because the sacred garments from chapter 28 can't be put directly on their unclean bodies. Either they've got to be washed. Uh, and then in verses 5 to 9, well, we see that they're, they're to have the clothes, the priestly clothes put on them. Well, if you're going to be ordained as a priest, uh, you've got to be wearing your priestly clothes. That's the idea here. Uh, In verse 7, where we see that Aaron, the high priest, has to be anointed with God's sacred anointing oil. This is a sign that Aaron is being set apart to be used for God's purposes. And then in verses 10 to 26, they they offer a whole lot of sacrifices for their sins. So if you look there in verses 10 to 14, uh, they offer a bull first as a sin offering. You can read about this sin offering in Leviticus chapter 4. It's essentially the priests offering a a sacrifice for even their unintentional sins. That's the provision of this sin offering. And then in verses 15 to 18, they offer the first of two rams as a burnt offering. We've heard a bit about these burnt offerings the past few weeks. Leviticus chapter 1, this ram would have been completely burnt up on the altar uh, in the courtyard of the tabernacle uh, to to signify that these priests' sins have been completely atoned for and also to signify their complete devotion to God. They're, They're utterly consumed with devotion to God. 
And then in verses 19 to 26, uh, they're to offer the second ram as a consecration or wave offering. Uh, in fact, down in verse 28, this offering is also called a fellowship offering. So it kind of has three different names. I don't talk about the, the Hebrew uh, very much when we're looking at Exodus. In fact, I'm not very good at Hebrew, truth be told, and not as good as others in our church. But anyway, the, the Hebrew word translated as ordination in this part of the passage, I mention this because I think it's helpful for understanding the passage, uh, it's actually related to the word for to fill up. Uh, so if you look at verse 9, uh, which speaks about Aaron being ordained as a priest, uh, it could literally be translated as to fill up Aaron's hands with the priesthood. Now, I think that helps us to understand what this wave offering is about. Have a look at the wave offering. that The priest uh, is supposed to take some bread in their hand or, or part of the, the ram that's being offered, uh, and it's supposed to fill up their hand and they're supposed to wave it before the Lord. What's going on here? Is God saying, just as their hand is currently full of this bread or this sacrifice, so also from now on, as a priest of His people, their hands are going to be full of service to Him. That's the idea. Either they're full of their ministry as priests, completely devoted to it, and as those who've offered these sacrifices for their sins uh, and have been consecrated to serve as priests, they have fellowship with God. Uh, it's a fellowship, if you look at verses 19 to 20, it's a fellowship that really consumes their whole life. Uh, that's why they, they need to have the blood of the sacrifice put on their right earlobe. These rituals seem a bit strange to us, but it's just saying uh, it's a sign of their commitment to living a life where they listen to the Word of God. And it's going to be on their right thumb as a sign that they're committing to actually obeying the Word of God. And it's going to be on their right big toe as a sign that they're committing to actually walking in line with God's Word. So having been consecrated and set apart as priests, if you look at verses 37 to 30, uh, 27 to 34... Uh, they enjoy some of the privileges of being priests. Right? They sit together in God's presence and they eat the sacred portions of the sacrifices that God has said belong to them. Uh, they do that while they're wearing their special priestly garments. These are the privileges of being priests. And then in verses 35 to 41, they accept the responsibilities of, it, of being priests. Right? They take a kind of seven-day ordination retreat, it seems, uh, during which they consecrate the altar, uh, the altar on which they'll offer all the regular sacrifices of God's people in verses 38, and 40, uh, 38 to 41. You say, all this seems a bit weird. What's the whole point of this chapter about consecrating the priests? Well, it's right there at the end, verses 42 to 46. The point is that God wants to dwell with His people he wants to meet with them. He, he wants to speak with them. And he can only do that if they have a mediator. Right? These priests who step in to sort out the mess in the lives of the Israelites. And of course, this chapter also points us towards Jesus. Right? It's through faith in Christ's blood that's shed on the cross uh, that we as sinners can be sanctified to serve as priests. Let me unpack that. Like, like Aaron and his sons, 
We, verse 4, have been washed clean of our sins. We, verses 5 to 9, have been clothed in the glorious holiness of Christ. A holiness that's not ours, but has been given to us. And we, verse 7, have been anointed with God's Spirit. Right, set apart as one of His people uh, to serve Him with the rest of our lives. Uh, because like Aaron and his sons, we have been consecrated by a sacrifice. All these sacrifices in this chapter also point us to Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate sin offering, who offers His life in our place, bearing the judgment that we deserve for our sins. And is the ultimate burnt offering, right? He offers himself over completely to the will of God, his Father, uh, so that he might offer complete atonement for our sins. Uh, and Jesus even is like the ultimate wave offering, who's lifted up on the cross before God to secure our peace and fellowship with God. But through the work of Christ, our true and ideal high priest, we can be sanctified, consecrated, uh, to actually serve as priests. Which is why in the New Testament you have these references to all of God's people being priests. In Revelation 1, verses 5 and 6, for example, John says, Christ loves us and He has freed us from our sins by His blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve His God and Father. Either the work of Christ, our great high priest, has consecrated us has made us to be a kingdom of priests who can serve our God. Priests who have continual access to the presence of God and who serve our God in this world. So what about the commitments of these priests? This is chapter 27, verses 20 and 21, and chapter 30, verses 1 to 10. The kind of bookends of this section. In chapter 27, verses 20 and 21... Uh, we see that the priests must make sure the continuing, uh, the, ca- the constant light of God's presence keeps shining. Well, this is the lampstand that we heard about last week and chase it up uh, at the end of chapter 25. Uh, God's presence is to continually shine upon His people to remind them that life and growth and blessing comes from knowing God. Now, this is interesting because in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus is saying that that he is like the ultimate lampstand who shines the light of God's glorious presence into the darkness of this world. And he says to all those who would come to him and walk in his light, that they might find life and growth and blessing. And so in Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16, Jesus says to his disciples, those who've committed to coming to him and walking in his light, he says, you are the light of the world. So let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What does this mean? It means that as God's kingdom of priests, one of our central duties is to shine the light of God's glory into the world around us into the darkness of the world, but not so that people would join, uh, would kind of praise us for our good deeds, but so that they would join us in praising God, our Father, for our good deeds. 
That's the continually shining light of God's presence. And then in chapter 30, verses 1 to 10, we've got the continually rising incense of our prayers. Uh, Incense and prayers often go together in the Bible. Uh, You can look up one verse in Psalm 141, verse 2, uh, where the psalmist says, May my prayers be set before you like incense. The high priest has to make sure there's incense rising up from the altar of incense all the time. Right. Why? To symbolize the fact that God's people always need someone offering prayers on their behalf. So even this incense points us towards Jesus. Because Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 to 26 tells us uh, that Christ always lives. Because he's been raised from the dead, Christ always lives to intercede for us. Now, that's something all of us could think about a little bit more. Christ, our great high priest, if you're a Christian, Christ is always praying for you. Always. He never takes a break. He always lives to intercede for for you. And that should move you to take great joy and delight in lifting up your prayers to God. And knowing, as we're told in Revelation chapter 8, verse 3, that the prayers of God's people are like a sweet-smelling incense in His presence. He delights in them. So in the rest of chapter 30, we come to what I've called the customs of the priests. Uh, I'll try to move through these fairly quickly. These are the kind of daily rhythms, uh, the life and service of the priests. So if you look at chapter 30, verses 11 to 16, uh, we see that the priests are to lead lead God's people, entrusting in the means that God has provided to escape from His wrath. That that seems pretty intense, but if you take a look at this section, uh, it seems pretty clear Uh, But for some reason, we don't know exactly why, uh, but taking a census of Israel was particularly offensive to God. Right? Maybe it's something to do with pride and kind of tallying up the number of people. I'm not sure what it is. Uh, But if you look in verse 12, you'll see that God's people must pay a ransom to be set free from the plague of God's judgment. Uh, In summary, the point is that the same God who is filled with wrath, that is people taking a census, is filled with abundant mercy, right? So much mercy that he provides a means for them to escape his wrath and know his love. Uh, And that's the same with us, isn't it? Right, maybe it's not a census, but we do all sorts of things that are very, very offensive to our God. He's filled with wrath. And yet in Christ, He's provided the means to set us free from His wrath. Once and for all, that we trust in Christ. Uh, But each individual must embrace that ransom. Just like each individual in Israel had to pay the ransom. Each of us must put our trust in Jesus for ourselves. And to be set free from God's wrath and know His love. A second, that the priests, verses 17 to 21, are to lead God's people in committing to a life of holiness, kind of daily holiness. We said earlier in chapter 29, the priest had that once-off special washing when they were getting ordained as priests. That's a washing that is never going to be repeated. But here we see, in this basin of washing in the courtyard of the tabernacle, uh, that they're, well, I guess we're reminded that it's not like those priests never sin again. 
Every time they enter God's presence, they have to cleanse themselves at this basin, particularly washing their hands. And this is like us, if if you're a Christian, you've put your faith in Christ, you've been cleansed from your sins once and for all. It's a once-off washing that never needs to be repeated. But it's not like you never sin again, right? So every day you have to come to your proverbial basin of washing. You have to come to God, your heavenly Father afresh, uh, in the spirit of 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 to 10, uh, knowing that He is faithful and just, and by the blood of Christ your, uh, His Son, as you confess your sin to Him, He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Well, let me encourage you to commit to this practice of confessing your sin and pursuing holiness. Uh, the third thing is in verses 22 to 33 in chapter 30. Right, the priests are to remember that they've been set apart to serve the Lord. Now, this is what the anointing oil is about. You know, some sections of Christianity think there's something almost like kind of magic about anointing oil. I, I don't think that's what's going on. Uh, I think the anointing oil is God saying in physical terms, yes, this priest belongs to me. Yes, this tabernacle belongs to me, and they're going to be used for my purposes. Likewise, if you're a Christian, I said before, you've been anointed with God's Spirit. Once you put your faith in Christ, God's Spirit comes to live in you, upon you, and that is God saying, yes, this person belongs to me. Yes, they've been set apart to be used for my purposes in this world. And fourth, at the end of chapter 30, uh, we see that we're to enjoy lifting up our prayers to God because we know He delights in them. Touched on this before, but this is in particular about the altar of incense here uh, that the priests are responsible for. Uh, And I just want you to notice that the incense coming up from the altar is a fragrant perfume, a perfume that is pleasing to God. And I wanted to mention that because you must never think that your prayers stink to God. I mean, some of you think that, probably. You think every time I pray, God surely turns up His nose and says, oh, gross, you know? That's not how the Bible portrays it. Your prayers are a fragrant perfume that bring delight and pleasure to God your Father. And so, we're getting towards the end of our whirlwind tour, chapter 31 verses 1 to 18, where we uh, hear about the construction, fifth C, of the tabernacle, Uh, we see that if we give ourselves to serving in God's way, we can actually all play our part in the building up of God's people. Uh, So real brief, verses 1 to 6, you'll see that like uh, Bezalel and Aholiab, like them, each of us have been given gifts by God's Spirit. And in verses uh, seven to uh, verses six to eleven, uh, we sh- we see that we should use those gifts that God has given us uh, for the purpose of building up His people towards the plan that He has for them. And of course, the focus of the building in this chapter is of the physical tabernacle. Right in verse six and eleven, uh, they're to build up the tabernacle in accordance with God's command, which I take to be in accordance with the plans that God gave to Moses up on Mount Sinai. Uh, but we're not to use our gifts primarily to build up some physical building, are we? We're, we're to use our gifts to build up the church, right? God's people, 
And we're to build up the church in accordance with the plan that He's given us. But He's shown us that He wants His people to be built up in number, more and more disciples of Jesus, and built up in maturity, that those disciples would become more like His Son. This is the great task that we're to give ourselves to. But third, uh, we see in verses 12 to 18, uh, that we're to give ourselves to this task while still imitating God's patterns of work and rest. I just noticed the significance there. Right after God rallies the troops and says, give yourselves to the building up of my tabernacle, He then says, make sure you keep observing the Sabbath. That's interesting. Maybe some of you need to hear that. Yes, God's people are to work hard in building up the tabernacle, they're to make sacrifices for the cause, but they're also to regularly take time to rest, to remember their limitations, that God is God and they are not. Likewise, we as God's people are to give ourselves wholeheartedly to the work of building up His people, work hard in that, make sacrifices for that cause, uh, but remember our limitations, right? Make regular times to rest. God is God and we are not. So I suspect that uh, many of us, uh, by default, might be a little bit negative about this language of priests. Uh, Maybe you think to yourself, well, what do I need a priest for? I just go directly to God as a Christian. And in a sense, I can see that's true. But I hope you can see from this passage that actually you do need a priest. Or you don't need a, a priest in a particular local church that they might care for you and teach you. Uh, but you do need Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus, the great high priest, the true and ideal high priest, whose work on the cross makes it possible to become a part of God's kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests uh, who have continual access to the presence of God, our Father, and who give their lives in sacrificial service uh, for the good of His people uh, and for His world. Uh, So let's pray, uh, and then we'll sing. Let's pray. Uh, Gracious Father, we thank You for Your Word, uh, and we just ask that uh, through it, as we uh, meditate on this large chunk of Your Word, uh, that You would open our eyes afresh Uh, to see our glorious and great and loving High Priest, our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.